0: Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to our feet. Our readings this morning is from Romans 5, verses 12 to 19. Death through Adam, life through Christ. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The next reading is from Matthew 4 verses 1 to 11. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Again, the devil, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the Lord, of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Lord, may your word live in us.
1: Thank you. Well, we have come to the Christian season of Lent, which is a 40-day reflection upon one's life and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Often it's observed as a time of fasting and of prayer. The 40 days reflects the 40 days that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and calls us to see, to see, him, see him in that situation. And as I said before, people often like to uh, give up something at Lent to remember what Jesus gave up when he came to earth, as well as the things that he suffered. The reading of the temptation happens the first Sunday in Lent, and this year it comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Matthew, Mark and Luke, all of the the three Gospel writers all recall this event, although Mark's account uh, is very short. And this occurs immediately after his baptism by John the Baptist. It reads that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the Judean wilderness. It's interesting that when you look at Mark, Mark said that Jesus was forcibly thrust into the wilderness, using a vivid present tense verb which invites us to see the event in person. It means that Jesus going to the wilderness was a must for him. (coughs) And we must remember that Jesus was the divine son of God, but not only was he the divine son of God, but we also know that he was fully human as you and I are. Now the Judean wilderness could have been like the moon in lots of ways. It was a hostile desert in which temperatures would soar during daytime and plummet at night. And Matthew brings us out by saying that Jesus was there for 40 days and 40 nights. He could have simply said 40 days or 40 days and nights, but no, he repeats the number 40, 40 days and 40 nights, emphasizing the severity of the temptation. The heat of the day in the dry desert would have driven desperation for what little shade could be found. The nights were cold and it was time when all the wild beasts would come out. Matthew doesn't mention the wild beasts, but Mark's account does. The texts say that during this 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus ate nothing. And this is similar to the time when Moses went up Mount Sinai for 40 days. And it's the limit of extreme human endurance. A lot of people are hunger strikes of, have not lasted 40 days, and some that do go for for that long or almost as long suffer from uh, body breakdown. But considering that Jesus was in a hostile wilderness, the effects on his body would have been extreme. There would have been maybe pools of water in the shade or roundabout that he would have had water because he would need water to survive. And when we think of the temptations, it corresponds also to the 40 years that Israel spent in the Sinai wilderness And they would not have been able to survive that experience apart from the intervention of the Lord, who provided manna for them to eat and uh, revealed sources of water. But Jesus did not even have this physical food. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was more than just hungry. He was exhausted and at the point of physical death. And you see, it's at this point at this point of extreme physical weakness and vulnerability that Satan appears to tempt him. And this is similar to when Adam and Eve attempted in the Garden of Eden. There are differences, of course. Adam and Eve were in a Garden, are well cared for. But Jesus was at the other extreme of existence, which made his temptation far more difficult to resist, humanly speaking. But Hebrews writer tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way we were, yet without sin. Now, this doesn't mean that he suffered every temptation, but rather he was tempted to the extreme more than any other person has ever been tempted. And there's an example of the statement in Hebrews, that Jesus, the author of our salvation, was made perfect through the things he suffered. How Jesus responded to Satan's temptation determined the fate of humanity as a whole. You see the second Adam had to undo the damage done by adam and eve 's failure in the garden, and Romans five relates to this it seems to indicate that he succeeded in this and more because of Jesus' obedience, our disobedience in Adam was cancelled if we believe in him. we shall also see we shall also be in a higher position than Adam that Adam had in the garden, but Jesus also relives the exodus experience of Israel. Israel was disobedient to Yahweh on many occasions. As a result, all but Joshua and Caleb died and only the children could enter the promised land of Canaan. They were tempted in the wilderness and they failed. Christ was tempted and successfully resisted. As a result, his obedience and righteousness become our obedience and righteousness when we believe on Jesus. Jesus. By extension, Jesus also relives our lives as we too were disobedient and rebellious. And so this becomes the basis of our hope. The fancy theological term, if you want one, is recapitulation. God sees us in Christ and not we in ourselves. In other words, there's an emphatic statement in Jeremiah which talks about the new covenant. It says that as a result of this covenant, our sins will absolutely never be remembered anymore by God. This troubles us a bit as we affirm that God is all-knowing. And so how can an all-knowing God ever forget anything? We must affirm that nothing is impossible with God, even that which we intellectually and morally state that God cannot or would not do. We read that God cannot change. Yet God became flesh. And this indeed is a great mystery. We like to say that God acts as if we never sinned even though he still knows we have. But what if Christ, or what if God actually forgets our sin? It would be because in Christ they never happened. Christ revises the history of our trespasses and sin. His obedience has cancelled them. They are not just forgiven, but forgotten. And as we look at these temptations, we know that they represent the entirety, if you like, of our temptations. The first temptation concerned turning stones into bread. Now, we're all human, and we're all made to eat and to drink. Sometimes we do too much, we eat too much. But you know, how long wrong would it be for Jesus to turn stones into bread, seeing it was within his power? Unfortunately, the statement that we read and have been translated, if you are the son of God, is a bit of mistranslation <clears throat> because it puts a conditional statement. Taken this way, it indicates that Satan was trying to get Jesus to doubt himself. But the Greek is better, better translated as since you are the son of God. Since you are the son of God. So the real temptation was to rely on himself rather than rely on God to rely on himself rather than on God and this parallels the temptation of Eve the serpent said that if she would eat the forbidden fruit that she would be like God and able to determine right and wrong for oneself apart from God this becomes if you like the sin of autonomy everyone becomes a law to themselves everyone can do what is right in one's own eyes you heard that before today not only is this autonomy, but this also becomes autotheist, which means being one's own god, and this is at the root of the first temptation. And our fall enslaves us to the folly that we are able to run the world without God, and we see its bitter fruits. Jesus sets the record straight by quoting from the book of Jeremiah, when he says, "Jeremiah was written just after they'd crossed the promise, well, before they crossed the promised land." that if they would be loyal to the government, if they did, they'd be blessed. And if not, they'd be spewed out. And Deuteronomy reminded Israel that it was a Lord who had provided them in the wilderness. For Their fathers had complained about the manna and wanted meat, so God gave them quail and they were sick. The children of Israel had no siege weapons or chariots by which to take the walled city of Jericho. The spies saw this and ten of them fainted for fright. They did not trust God's word that he, not they, would drive the people out. They had done nothing to earn the promised land. Quite the contrary. They had thoroughly undeserved it. The land was entirely the gift of God's grace, something that we need to remember. And Jesus quotes where it says that man does not live by bread alone. This doesn't say that the bread's not important. God provides our food for which we render grace. But what is more important is that we hold to God's word, every word, for it proceeds from the mouth of God. God's word states that He'll provide for His people's needs. When the temptation was over, God the Father sent angels to minister Jesus, which I assume included food and drink. He sustained His Son through the wilderness and looked to His needs, and Jesus remained humbly obedient. The second temptation in Matthew was the lust for power lust for power. I wonder how many times you thought of that. If only I had the power to do this. If only I could change that. Or maybe if only one power ball. What I could do with it and how I would change things. If I was the prime minister this is what I would do and the country would be far better off. Okay. So the second one is lust for power. And Jesus is shown the kingdom of the world from a high mountain. And Satan told Jesus that he owned them. He would give them all to Jesus if he would just bow down and worship him. This temptation also has its root in the temptation of Adam and Eve. When God had placed him in the garden, he also gave them total authority over the earth. They showed this dominion by naming all the animals. All was in perfect subjection to the voice of... And to, uh, subjection to them. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command and chose to obey the voice of Satan rather than God, they thought the words of Satan worth more than what God's were. As worship can be rendered worth ship, we can see that Adam and Eve bowed down in worship at Satan's feet. As a result, they in effect sign over the deed of the earth to Satan. Satan claimed dominion over all of earth's kingdom. When Jesus is being tempted to sign over his true authority to Satan, but we properly remember that even though God gave man the title deed to earth, that it was God who gave it to them and he still owned it. Adam and Eve were not God. God still is the rightful owner of the universe. The earth is still the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So in respect, Satan is still subject to having his derived ownership revoked. So again, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy, which says that Yahweh alone was to be worshipped. It is Yahweh that all sacred service was to be remembered. Satan tried to deceive Jesus, but Jesus did not forfeit. He had passed the second temptation. What we have is entirely a gift of grace. We do not have the right to act independently of the will of Christ. We only share in what he rightfully possesses. We do not have the right to rule as robots over the earth. We should instead be good stewards of all the earth's resources. We need to look after our earth and its resources. The third temptation Jesus taken to the pinnacle of the temple which was over 30 metres high, overlooking the Kidron Valley to the east. And Satan tempts Jesus to jump down. And this time, realising that Jesus quoted scripture and lived by scripture, Satan quotes part of the 91st Psalm, which stated that the angels of God would keep him from being hurt. Now you need to remember that Satan acknowledged that Jesus was the Son of God. The fall would certainly kill a human that tried it, but Jesus, as the Son of God, had special protection. He certainly would not die. There's also the additional temptation that his gentle descent, supported by angels to the Eastern Gate, would also fulfill the Jewish expectation of the coming Messiah. That was one of the things they thought that the Messiah would do. And so there's the pressure, again, not only of fulfilling the easy way, but of fulfilling the role of the expected Messiah. Jesus is the Christ Messiah, but this is not how he was to act. There was the temptation to let people determine for themselves how they would be saved. Again, this goes back to the temptation in the garden. Jesus would soon show just what kind of Messiah he came to be. The divine protection would be laid aside. There'd be no rescue from the cross, in perfect weakness and in perfect obedience, Jesus laid down his own life for each one of us. Jesus simply quotes again from Deuteronomy third time, you shall not tempt Yahweh your God. This ended the temptation. In Luke's gospel, Luke adds, and Satan left him for a while or for now. And a lot of people think, well, that was the end of it. But no, as you go through the life of Jesus, every one of these temptations appear again. Every one of them. At one stage, after he's fed the people, they want to make him king and ruler. And he refuses. All the way through, and even on the cross, even on the cross, they call out to him, since you are the son of God, call down the angels, pull yourself off, he won't let you be hurt. All the way through Jesus' ministry, these temptations come up in some form or another. He had been sorely tempted, and yet he had remained obedient. The angels were sent to minister, and then Jesus would go on in his earthly ministry. And you know, each one of us, every day, we are still tempted to bow down to Satan. But since we've been set free by Jesus, we must worship him alone. Satan no longer has dominion over us and we must demonstrate this in our action. We are tempted to be the captain of our own ship. We are tempted to, you know, do your own thing. It doesn't matter what other people say. Oh, it doesn't matter, you know, you're right, you do it. We are tempted to become influential and relevant in the world, even to the point where we throw away our external relevance in Christ. I wonder how many times, even as a church, we've heard, oh, the church has to be relevant. The church has to be relevant. We need to change everything. Change it to what? We need to change to be more like Christ. But the church, the world does not set the agenda for the church. That's why we live, if you like, in a different kingdom. We still relate, we still got to worship, we still got to let people know the love of Christ. And talking about God's love and forgiveness is always relevant. We are tempted to put God to the test and even use out-of-context scripture proofs to justify our actions which we know are wrong. And I've heard lots of people through the ages, down through my years of ministry, who will take little bits of scripture here a little bits of scripture there to prove their argument, but it's not set in context. And as I say to people, when you take the text out of context, what are you left with? Con. You're left with a con. And so it's not, if somebody quotes... Scripture, don't just say, oh, that's scripture. Yeah, go home and read it, put it in its context. We need to endeavour to cast our cares upon Christ because he cares for us. We must also resist Satan who comes as a roaring lion seeking to devour us, as Peter says, resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil and he will flee. And so we have such a great hope provided us freely by Jesus Christ. And so at this time of Lent, as we think about these 40 days, the temptations that Jesus faced and the temptations that we face in life to not be the best that we can be for Jesus Christ, to temptations to take the easy way or not upset the apple cart or not do whatever, may we stop and think and say, God, give me strength. Give me strength to be the person that you have called me to be and you want
0: me to be. Amen.